At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Well, good morning. I'm so sorry that I'm not able to be with you live and in person this morning, but unfortunately our oldest son, Isaiah, Uh, tested positive for COVID-19 yesterday, and so our family has begun our mandatory 14-day quarantine, and so I'm at home right now uh, wishing I could be there with you, um, but thankful that we have the the technology of video uh, this morning, and so thank you for just your understanding, and for those of you that um, uh, might be concerned, Isaiah's fine. He's only shown mild symptoms at this point, and No one else in our household has shown any symptoms at this point, so we are thankful for that. But this morning, I have the opportunity to just bring a unique word for our campus from God's Word. And so if you have a Bible with you, wherever you're at, if you're at home watching me right now, or if you're in our auditorium, I invite you to open it with me to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to be in verses 27 and 28 this morning. And so... I'm going to read our passage for us and then we'll jump into it together. Colossians 1, 27 and 28 says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You know, it's just over a year ago that I had the privilege to be called here to be your campus pastor. And I didn't know quite that it was going to be this crazy uh, of a year, but, uh, but it's been great. And it's been incredible to see God continue to work over this past year. And, you know, really from the time I came to our campus, it was really my heart to just kind of from the get-go try to learn as much as I could about our church family and our community. And really from day one, I tried to have as many dinners as I could and meetings that I could and uh, visits to life groups as I could just to get to know uh, our church. And and it's been great. And even though COVID, COVID tried to slow us down, it's been great to just get to know more and more of our church family over this past year. And one of the things that just struck me so much has just been the faithfulness uh, at this church, not only just of the congregation, but really the faithfulness of the Lord to our church family. You know, a couple weeks ago, we got to celebrate our uh, 55 years as a uh, church here in Farmington Hills and 10 years as a Woodside campus. And I was just amazed as we went throughout that day and were reminded of the legacy, just how God has worked over the decades, how faithful he has been. And it's exactly because of that faithfulness that I'm just, I'm excited for the future. I'm excited for where God is beginning to move us. And and just even today, I stand in this moment just excited for what I think God is going to do, um, that I really believe God is beginning to awaken our church to a new work and a new vision of the mission that he wants us to pursue and making disciples here in Farmington Hills. And I think to put it simply, I think God's calling us really towards a new, a, a new work that's an old work as we learn together what it looks like to really be communities on mission um, who are living as families, who are really growing as disciples, and who are singing to, seeing to bring, seeking to bring Jesus into all the nooks and crannies of our, 
of our community so that every man, woman, and child has an opportunity to hear about Jesus because they interact with us. And so I'm just really excited about that. But um, you've probably heard me say the word excited enough at this point. Uh, but, you know, as I've just been praying about that and thinking about that and really seeking towards that vision that I think God is beginning to lay on our hearts, um, I've just felt along with that an increasing burden of some things that I think we need to be addressed or maybe just help us to kind of engage a little bit to help us more fully pursue that vision and mission that God is moving us towards. And so this morning, uh, I want to look at a passage that I think um, might help us a little bit to, to step more fully into what God has for us. And, you know, my wife warned me, she said, Jacob, it's crazy right now. I don't think anybody needs a super heavy message this week. And uh, while her words were very wise, I hope that this message is not a burden to us as a church, but is more of an encouragement, more of a challenge maybe in some ways so that we can move more towards what God has for us. And so with that said, let's, I want to just kind of jump into this text a little bit and begin to unpack, I think, some things that God wants to encourage us in this morning. So just to set the context a little bit, in Colossians, uh, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, which is a city in what is now um, modern-day Turkey, and he's writing to encourage the church in a number of different things, like most of Paul's letters. But one of the things that's amazing about the book of Colossians is just how much from the get-go Paul really emphasizes the supremacy of Jesus and that he really is Lord over all things. And so he opens the letter with this incredible prayer that he has for the Colossians. But then in verse 15, he begins to really give them just an incredible vision of Jesus. Listen to these words in Colossians 1.15. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. This passage is amazing. You can see Paul just trying to fill their imaginations with all the incredibleness of Jesus. He's the image of God. He's over all rulers and authority. He holds everything together. He's the firstborn of creation. He's, he's over all the church, right? He's from the very beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's raised from the dead. The fullness of God dwells in him. And man, he wants to reconcile with you. You just feel Paul's like the whole time just trying to capture their imagination. Look how awesome and incredible Jesus is. And then he goes into this incredible passage on the gospel that through him, God has reconciled us in his body. And, and you can just see from the get-go of Paul, he's just, man, he wants us to see how big and incredible Jesus is. And in fact, that's really Paul's message. In verse 24, as it leads up to the passage we're going to look up, he says that he's filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions, mainly to make the truth of Jesus known in the world. That's what he's been given to do. And he be, refers to this work of Jesus, this reality as the mystery, a mystery that God is doing. And in verse 27, he begins to unpack what that mystery is. Look again with me at these verses. He says, to them. Now, who's them? 
Well, that's the saints. You see that in verse 26. And saints just means holy one. It's just a word Paul uses to reference Christians. And he says, to them, his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. So he's essentially saying among the church, among Christians, God's chosen to make known how great among the non-Jews, the Gentiles, how great and incredible is are the riches of his glory that we see in this mystery. Now, what's that mystery? Now, here's the key, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. For Paul, the incredible mystery that he wants the Colossians to understand is that this supreme Jesus, this one who is incredible and overall, that God has foreseen that he would come to live in us. Paul says this is the hope of glory. He's referencing the future glory when God will glorify his people and bring them into his new creation, his kingdom that will reign and rule forever and ever. And he says the hope of that, the hope of that we, that will come one day is this reality that Christ is in us. And that's an incredible truth that I just want us to begin with this morning, that if you're in Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus this morning, then Jesus has come to live in you by the spirit. Christ is in you. That's a mystery that's been revealed and it's amazing. But in some ways it also leads us to kind of the big idea that I want to unpack this morning. And it's simply this, because Jesus is supreme, that's what Paul's been saying, because Jesus is supreme, we are called to live in Jesus. We are called to live in Jesus. Christ is in you and so therefore we're called to live in him. But what does that actually look like? How are you and I to begin to really live in Jesus? If, if Jesus is in us by the Spirit, if, if he's in us and we trusted in him, what does it look like? How do we begin to actually live that out in our lives? Well, Paul, I think, continues in verse 28 to really give us two keys to how we can live in Christ and how we can do that together. Look again with me. He says, him we proclaim. So Jesus, this incredible, magnificent Jesus, who's fully God, fully man, overall, Lord of all, Savior, the one who's reconciled the world in his death and in through his resurrection, that Jesus, he's the one we proclaim. We declare, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And so the first thing that Paul wants us to understand about how we can live in Christ is we need to proclaim Jesus. We need to proclaim him, declare him, speak him. And he actually helps us understand what that looks like. He modifies that under idea of proclaiming by saying, we proclaim him by warning everyone. That idea, Paul, here is the idea of warning or admonishment that we call people and remind them to say, listen, Jesus is supreme. He is Lord over all. Therefore, don't turn from him. Don't ignore him. No, come, bow before him. Surrender your life to him. Follow him. He's the true king. He's the true Lord of the earth. And so we warn, we admonish, we challenge people not to turn from the Lord, but to turn to trust and follow Jesus. And then we continue, we teach them. So part of the way we proclaim Jesus is we teach everyone that we instruct them in the truth of who he is. We instruct him in his ways and how to live to follow him. In fact, it was Jesus who reminded us that we are called to teach one another and we're called to teach people the truth. He said in Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. And then he says, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. 
Part of the way that we proclaim Jesus is we teach people about him. We teach the reality is. And Paul says we do this with all wisdom. Wisdom was so important in that day. But for Paul, wisdom is in Jesus. And so we're called to teach with and admonish with wisdom. That that's how we're to approach it. To put it simply, you and I are called to speak Jesus. That part of the way we live in Jesus is we speak him. We talk about him. We proclaim him. We warn others about him. We also teach others about him. That Jesus, if we're followers of him, if we live in Christ, should be on our lips continually. We've kind of put the label on this from this book that we've been studying this semester in our life groups, that we want to be people to live in Christ, to become gospel fluent. And if you haven't read the book Gospel Fluency by Jeff Andersell, I would highly encourage. And we've been learning together throughout the course of the semester in our life group what it looks like to be people who learn really to speak the truth of Jesus in every day, all sorts of ways in our lives. The wonderful metaphor of that book is that the way that you might learn to become fluent in a language and be able to speak fluently in a language is how we're called to speak fluently in the gospel, to understand the truths of Jesus in such a way that we can actually learn to speak them into the everyday moments of life all the time to every one. Because when we speak Jesus, there's an incredible power in proclaiming him to everyone, to all sorts of people. You know, I was reminded of this a while back. I was having breakfast with a friend and it was during a time where I was really discouraged about uh, just several things in life. I was discouraged about my leadership. I was discouraged a little bit of where things were at in life and I was struggling to just understand. And we were having a conversation that morning over breakfast, him and another guy. And uh, we were drinking coffee together, eating bread, probably eating some bacon. And I was just kind of lamenting to them. I was more whining just about where I was and what I was feeling and what I was experiencing. And, and as we sat there over breakfast, I'll never forget at one point, my friend just asked me like, well, what do you think Jesus thinks about that? What do you think he would say? And I'll, I'll never forget when he, when he said that, and it just stopped me in that moment. And it was incredible. It was like the light bulb went off and the whole perspective had changed because up to that point, I, I didn't really think about what Jesus might have to say about what I was struggling through. I didn't give any thought. I just thought my own thoughts, my own struggles, my own feelings, which are important, but, but I realized I never stopped to think, oh man, what is, what is Jesus? I, I wasn't living in him. I was living in my own understanding of my life. And so over the course of that breakfast, we began to talk and remind ourselves of the truth of Jesus and my Friends started to remind me, you know, that my identity isn't ultimately in my performance, but it's in what Christ has done for me. And that even when I struggle, God's still with me, helping. Even when I sin, God's reminding. And I remember leaving that breakfast just feeling more encouraged, feeling more challenged, feeling more just in love with Jesus, trusting him more. And that's the power that speaking Jesus has. When we learn to speak Jesus, not only with each other, but even with those around us, just in the everyday moments, Man, God works powerfully in those times. And so that's why Paul says, hey, if you're going to live in Christ, you got to learn to speak him. you got to proclaim him. But Paul also has a larger purpose for why we're called to proclaim him. We actually see that in the second half of verse 28. Look what it says. It says that. Now, you should always underline the word that when you encounter it in your Bible because it's a reminder or it's oftentimes connected with a statement of purpose. And Paul gives us a statement of purpose of why we proclaim Christ. He says that 
we may present everyone mature in Christ. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. So if we're called to live in Christ, we not only need to proclaim Christ, but we need to pursue maturity in Christ. That for Paul, part of the goal of why we become gospel fluent is so that we can present everyone mature in Jesus. So that they can grow up into him. Now it's important for us to understand what Paul means by this word mature. When he uses this word mature in this passage, um, it's really the idea in the original word of, of wholeness or completeness or fullness. That's really the idea that's Paul seeking to be communicated. Some tra Bible uh, translations translate this word perfect, but the ESV is chosen to translate the word mature because in, in many ways it captures this idea of what it means that we're called to grow up into the fullness of Jesus, that we're to be filled with him and to grow up into him. You know, oftentimes when it comes to the word maturity, we can compare or think of ourselves as mature by comparing ourselves to others around us. So we look at people that are less mature than us and we think like, well, at least I'm not as immature as they are, right? And oftentimes maturity can kind of be our relationship to other people. But what Paul's calling for here in terms of maturity is that it's maturity in Christ that really it isn't that, oh, we're just, it's not maturity of comparison. It's a fullness. It's a maturity of fullness where we're filled with Jesus, and we be, grow up to become more and more like him. We actually see a parallel understanding this, helps us understand what this maturity is in Ephesians chapter 4, which is a parallel a letter that Paul writes. And Paul says this in Ephesians 4. He says, rather, in verse uh, 15, rather, speaking the truth in love. So there he captures that same idea of proclaiming Christ, right? For Paul to speak the truth is really to speak the truth of Jesus. Because just a few verses later, he will say the truth is in Jesus. So speaking the truth is speaking the truth of Jesus in love. So when we do that, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. For Paul, we speak the truth of Jesus so that we can grow up into him in every way. That's essentially Paul's idea. And that's what he means when he says we're to present everyone mature in Christ. We're to grow up in Christ in every way. That means that every area of our life is to be filled with Jesus, that we're to be like him in everything. When we look at our lives, we're called to live in Christ by learning to live like Jesus in all the areas, no matter what area of our life, whether it's our finances, our home, our job, whatever it is, the thing we must ask and strive for is to say, how can I live like Jesus in all these areas of my life? When you think about your job, you ask questions like, if Jesus worked my job, how would he work? If Jesus parented my kids, how would he parent? If Jesus loved my spouse, how would he love? If Jesus serve my church, how would he serve? If Jesus dated this person, how would he date, right? If Jesus would do this, you fill in the blank, how would he go about it? Spiritual maturity then is seeking to live like Jesus and to grow where he fills all those different areas and we learn to live more and more like him. 
where we're filled with the fullness of Jesus in all the areas of our life. But it's not only just for ourselves. Part of spiritual maturity and becoming mature in Christ is also learning to lead others to grow in Christ. That as we grow and are filled with Christ, we want to then turn and help others and lead others. Every Christian in some way, shape, or form should be a leader where they grow to the place and become spiritually enough mature where they are able to help others grow in Christ. This is why we always say our mission is to make disciples who make disciples. It's not just enough for us to be disciples. Part of our discipleship is helping others become mature in Christ. I once heard it said that someone said the growth of spiritual maturity is moving from someone who is an imitator to someone who can be imitated. That's part of our growth, that we grow to not only be spiritually mature, but to set the example for others and help them to follow. You and I are called, brothers and sisters, to learn to live like Jesus by pursuing spiritual maturity, by allowing him to fill all the areas of our life. But the reality is that's actually a really hard struggle. It's a struggle. You can actually see Paul point to this struggle in the verse that follows 28. Look at verse 29. He says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul says, as he calls us towards this pursuit of spiritual maturity, that he labors for it to happen, that he works by the grace of God who strengthens him, that this would be the case. And he wants you to know, you can hear it in verse, in chapter two, verse one, how great a struggle he has for them, that they would grow into spiritual maturity. Why? Why is this such a struggle for Paul? Why is it so important for him to labor for them to be presented mature in Christ? Well, because Paul knows that spiritual immaturity can be a detriment, sometimes even a death to our spiritual lives and even to our churches. Spiritual immaturity can be like a cancer that wreaks havoc in the life of a church. It can be like a dead cell that begins to affect and influence. And so when we're spiritually mature, it not only hurts us, but it can even hurt the church as well. Because the reality is when it comes to our spiritual growth, there's no such thing as neutral. You are either growing in Christ and moving towards him, or you are drifting away. Sometimes we have the sense that people have just kind of plateaued in their spiritual growth. It's not that they've plateaued. They've actually started to drift backwards, further and further away from Christ. And Paul knows this, and he knows that when that happens, when there's spiritual immaturity, and as we drift from Christ, man, it opens ourselves up, and it opens our communities up for a lot of problems and issues. In fact, you see him say that in verse four. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Paul knows when there's spiritual immaturity rampant in a church, man, it opens it up to false teaching. It opens it up to bickering. It opens it up to all sorts of things and problems and divisions that ultimately can hurt the cause of Christ and can hurt the community moving forward. And that's why he says, I toil 
I toil that you would be presented spiritually mature. I toil that you would experience the fullness of Christ in your life and in the church. He labors for this and he recognizes it's hard. Right? What Paul expresses here is the labor of every church and every pastor that they desire to see their people grow into maturity, but it's hard. And we war against the flesh. We war against the culture of the world. We war against a personal enemy in the Satan. And so we, we, Paul knows that. And so Paul says, man, we've got to toil. I toil for this. And he invites us in many ways into that toil as well, that we would struggle to grow into the fullness of Christ. Because if we don't, man, it can have devastating effects. In fact, I think laden, even within this passage, here is a warning about us of what happens if we don't seek and pursue spiritual maturity together. You see it actually in chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, I struggle to have for, or how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. Paul writes this letter not only for the church in Colossians, but also for other cities in that region. And one of the sister cities of Colossae is the city of Laodicea. And Paul writes to them to encourage them, and again, to toil that they might be spiritually mature. But Laodicea, in some ways, presents for us, I think, a warning and encouragement of what can happen when a church doesn't struggle for spiritual maturity, when it doesn't pursue the fullness, when it settles, when it becomes plateaued, honestly, not even plateaued, drifting away. You actually encounter the church of Laodicea later on in the scriptures, in the book of Revelation. And in the Revelation, John writes to seven different churches instructed by Jesus to give them instructions. And these words are written many years after Paul's instruction and encouragement to the church in Laodicea to grow up into spiritual maturity. But we see what actually happens in this church. If you look at Revelation 3, 14, you can see it. It says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Harsh words from Jesus, but... What he's saying is essentially you, church, have lost your fire, your passion, your devotion. You haven't pursued the fullness of me. And because of that, you become lukewarm. Jesus is drawing on the imagery of the water at Laodicea. If you actually would go to Laodicea, and I've been there, you can stand and you can see two different cities on opposite directions from the city. One of the cities that you can look at is the city of Heriopolis. And Heriopolis is marked by hot springs of water that come out of the mountain. They actually, the uh, mountain where Heriopolis is, is white from the minerals that come out from these hot springs. And if you turn to the left, you could see the, or if you turn the opposite direction, you can see the city of Colossae with its flowing streams that run down from the mountain just above it. And the streams are cool and cold. But Laodicea had no water system of its own. And so they had to pipe in water and it would sit and it would become lukewarm and stale and it would be terrible to the taste. And Jesus is essentially saying to the church, you're not either cold, and he doesn't just mean that as a bad thing, he means you're not dynamic in any way like these other cities. No, you've become lukewarm like your water and therefore I'm going to spit you out. You become immature 
You become not a church that's good, that's on fire, that's passionate, that's devoted and committed to me. No, you become stale. You've drifted from me. He gives a harsh challenge. Therefore, I'm going to spit you out. You might think, well, how? How did this church become like this? If Paul had called them to spiritual maturity, how did they get to this place of spiritual immaturity? Well, you actually see it in the next verse where Jesus says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, the problem that happened in the church of Laodicea was they had become self-sufficient. They thought that they were rich and prospered, that they didn't need anything, that they didn't really need to depend on Jesus, but they could just handle things in their own strength and in their own way. And in that, they became immature, lukewarm. You know, self-sufficiency is one of the great enemies of spiritual maturity. If we are called towards spiritual maturity to live in Christ and to experience his fullness and to grow up into that, then we have to depend on Christ. We have to recognize that the way that we do that is Christ in us. And so we must rely on him in our lives. But this church had relied on themselves. And oftentimes you and I, we can rely on our own strength, our own cleverness, our own ingenuity our own ways, instead of relying on Christ, of being dependent on him, of seeking him in prayer and leaning into his word and his ways and all of that. No, we think we've got it all together. And sometimes in self-sufficiency, we can feel and look good on the outside. But what Jesus warns us is we're terrible on the inside. We're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And so we have to always be consciously aware of self sufficiency. You know, we live in a, in a well-off city. We are f- abundant in our resources and what we have. And if we're not careful, many of us can fall into the trap in middle and upper class America of our own self-sufficiency. Why would we really need to pray to God? We can handle it. We don't need God's ideas. We have our ideas. We don't need God's healing. We have doctors. We don't need God to come in and move in our relationship. We have counselors and therapists. And oftentimes we can fall into our own self-sufficiency. And when we do that, we set ourselves up to become spiritually immature and move towards being lukewarm. But Jesus encourages us. Yes, it's a struggle. Be careful of your self-sufficiency. But when that happens, Man, Jesus doesn't leave us. He encourages us instead to turn to him and to begin to rely on him. Look at what he says in 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus is directly encouraging the church to turn from their self-reliance and to rely on him. And he does so by highlighting the three major industries of Laodicea. Laodicea was well known for its banking industry and it was a wealthy city. It was well known for its textile industry and the garments they made. And then it also had a medical school at the time of Paul that produced an eye salve that was used to help with eye issues throughout that area and region. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, don't rely on the things of the world. Don't rely on the things that you think your city is known for. Instead, turn to me for those things because I'll give you the spiritual riches you need. I'll cover your shame. I'll provide you the things that you need to actually see. You see, what we actually need 
only can come from Jesus. And he says, come, rely on me for that. And he invites us to repent because he loves us. He disciplines us. Jesus disciplines us because he loves us and he wants us to rely on him. And then he invites us in this beautiful verse in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Friends, if we're to live in Christ and we're to grow to spiritual maturity, we need Christ. We need Christ in us. We need him abiding in us and us abiding in him. And what Jesus says is, listen, maybe you have turned to self-sufficiency. Maybe you think you've got it all together. But if you'll just recognize that and turn to me, I'm here waiting to step into your life. I'm here waiting to enter in, to bring the fullness of who I am, to help you grow to be the person I created you to be, to grow in Christ and experience that maturity in life that God has for us. And then one day, this promise that we would sit on the throne with him, incredible. God invites us to his throne and to that place. If we would only turn from our self-sufficiency, instead rely on Jesus. And so if we're to grow into spiritual maturity and to live in Christ, we've got to repent, repent of our sin, repent of our self-sufficiency, and instead renew and rely on Christ. Invite him in because he is what we need to live the life he's called us to live and to live in Christ he stands at the door and knocks. We only need to invite him in. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, if you've never made him the Lord of life, your life and put your trust in him, I invite you to do that today. He is waiting for you. But if you have and you've turned to your own self-sufficiency, man, hear Jesus. He wants you to turn back. He's ready to come and fill your life afresh and anew. No matter where you've been, no matter the sin, no matter what's happened, he's ready. He stands at the door. But friends, what I want to encourage us in today, what do I want to encourage our church in, is to call us afresh. I need it this morning. You need it this morning. We need it together to pursue the fullness of Jesus together. Sometimes it's so easy for us to settle for less than the fullness of Jesus. Maybe because we've experienced hurts in our lives or hurts in our community. Maybe because things have been challenging. Maybe because of whatever reason is, we can settle for less than his fullness. But if we're to live in Christ, if Jesus is truly supreme, then he invites us into his fullness today. I think one of the things that we have to be consciously aware of within our church is spiritual immaturity. It can be like a cancer in your life. And Jesus says, turn from that. Turn from your self-sufficiency. Turn from thinking you can handle it on your own. Turn from just settling for less than the fullness of what I've had. And instead, lean in more. God always has more. He wants to grow us more. He wants to lead us more into the fullness of Jesus. If we're genuinely to become a dynamic church community that's on fire, red hot 
fire for Jesus so much so that we begin to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. As we begin to see the transformation in our church and in our community, if we're to be the sort of community that's filled up so full of Jesus that it begins to overflow into the nooks and crannies of Farmington Hills, then we must leave our spiritual immaturity behind and we must pursue Christ to its fullest. We must pursue maturity throughout our entire lives, never settling until that day where the Lord calls us home and brings us into heaven and into his new creation. And so this morning, I'll offer an encouragement to us. Let's be a people that pursues the maturity of Christ at all, with all the energy, with all the toil, with all the struggle that we can that everyone may be presented with him. Let's speak Jesus to one another as much as we can. Let's toil together to encourage one another to grow up into Christ in every single way so that Jesus would fill our church, that he would come in and eat and dwell in a new and fresh way, and that from that place he then went, would call us to move out onto mission to begin to fill Farmington Hills with more and more of his glory and maybe other places and other communities and either other places on the other side of the world. So I want to invite you, let's pursue Jesus together. He is supreme. So let's live in him and pursue the fullness of him in all that we do. And so let me take a moment and just pray for us this morning. Lord God, I'm so grateful for this church family. I'm thankful for the work that you're doing here, for your faithfulness over time and the fresh work that you're moving and bringing us into. But God, we recognize in our fallenness and our sinfulness, me just as much as anyone else listening to my voice right now, we can turn from you. We can become self-reliant. We can fall prey to sin. We can get comfortable. We can trust in ourselves more than we trust in you. And oh God, how that hinders us, how that leads us down a path that can infect us like a cancer. And so this morning, God, we want to invite you to come in and to do the work that you need to do in our lives. Do the work that you need to do in our community to begin to clean out those things, to call us back to that place of fullness. If you're here this morning, please know, and you've never put your faith in Jesus, please know he loves you. He is supreme. He is Lord of all, but he is a savior that wants to rescue you from your sin and brokenness and bring you into a whole new life where he comes to live in you and gives you new purpose. I invite you today to put your faith in Jesus. And I pray for you right now that if you haven't done that, that you would do that and the Lord would call you. But if you have put your faith in Jesus, if you're walking with him, but you know there's areas of your life that you haven't surrendered to him, that you need to turn over, that you have been walking in spiritual immaturity. Man, I pray this morning and invite you to repent, to turn from those things, to rely and trust in Jesus, to open the door of your heart, to allow him in, to begin to work and clean. Maybe you just need to confess that this morning. Maybe you need to confess it to someone near you. Maybe you just need to confess it to the Lord. But Jesus And he calls you out because he loves you and he invites you to turn and rely on him. 
And for all of us this morning, I pray, I pray, Jesus, that you would help us pursue the fullness of who you are, that we would not settle, but we would be a church red hot in pursuit of you, filled and seeking to be filled with more of you and more of you and more of you. Lead us to that place today, God, I pray. Help us until the whole world's filled with your glory. Till the covers the earth like it, the waters cover the sea. God, help us that way. Help me that way, I pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you live in us. Thank you that we don't have to do it on our own, but you're in us right now and your spirit is working right now. I pray even as we sing and as we worship, that your spirit would work to empower us so that everyone might be mature in Jesus. Help us, oh Lord, we pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.